The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. To take a closer look into the ethics of all of this, what we've been talking about, we are joined this afternoon by Dr. Arthur Schaefer, who is the founding director for the uh, of the Center for Professional and Applied Ethics at the University of Manitoba. Dr. Schaefer, thanks for joining us. Nice to be with you, Jalen. Well, doctor, it's been a long time since I took an ethics course. You'll have to walk me through this a little bit. There's a big difference between unethical and unlawful, correct? Well, uh, no one at this point, (laughs) except possibly the leader of the Conservative Party, is suggesting that anything unlawful happened. That was right up front. Uh, Judy Wilson-Raybould said, I'm not claiming that anything that happened was illegal. So we're we're not talking about legality. We're talking about uh, we're talking about ethics and integrity. Right. So, is it important for a government to be transparent and ethical, or is it important for a government to appear to be transparent <laughs> and ethical? <laughs> well, uh, I guess it's the appearance that's important politically, but maybe for the soul of the government, the reality matters too. And look, I think a lot of what's gone wrong here uh, has to do with not what was done, but how it was done. Mm. So, for example, the, the, the government passed legislation, Parliament passed legislation, which, uh, which created the possibility of what are called remediation agreements or deferred prosecution agreements. And the, the purpose of the legislation, it was purpose-built for, for SNC-Lavalin in order that uh, the, the criminal conduct in which they had engaged in Libya and elsewhere abroad, that, it w- w- that the criminal charges wouldn't put them out of business. <laughs> because the government was concerned, I think rightly, uh, about 3,000 well-paying, high-skilled jobs in Quebec and although nobody mentions it, 6,000 similar jobs across the rest of the country. So we're talking about a lot of jobs, and it didn't seem to the government uh, uh, a, a good policy to put this company out, uh, potentially put this company out of business. So they passed this legislation, and it, gi- it gives discretion. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, the... That was point, that's point one. So point okay. two is the director of public prosecutions decided that she didn't think the company was eligible. And actually, they probably weren't eligible. If you, if you look at the criteria, they, they weren't contrite, they were repeat offenders, and they didn't come forward on their own. They were <laughs> caught out by police investigation. So if the, if, the, if the legislation was, if the purpose was to save all these jobs by not putting the company into bankruptcy, it wasn't well drafted. (laughs) But uh, the director of public prosecutions could nevertheless have exercised her discretion to offer a remediation agreement. She didn't. But then Judy Wilson-Raybould, the attorney general and and, uh, minister of justice, she had the discretion. She could have told the director of public prosecutions, I want you to offer a remediation agreement. She, dis- she could have interfered. There would have been nothing illegal, nothing inappropriate about that. She decided not to. Well, then her cabinet colleagues, including the prime minister and the prime minister's office and the minister of finance, decided to try to persuade her. Now, you can call that interference with her judgment, but actually she doesn't call it interference. And most people accept 
this is not it's not inconsistent with the rule of law for the prime minister and his colleagues to say to the minister of justice here are the policy reasons why you should offer them a remediation agreement these jobs are really important uh use your discretion she doesn't deny that she says yeah they made these she's not calling that inappropriate there are two things she says were inappropriate do you know what they are the ongoing pressure when she said no i've made up my mind and they kept doing it that's right that was one and the other i would assume would be that the motivation was was political political that's right well it wasn't entirely political it was legitimate for them to say here are the economic and social and public policy considerations we want you to take into account it wasn't legitimate for the, for the prime minister to say hey i represent a quebec riding mm-hmm. happy no and moreover we've got an election coming up in quebec now ironically the election came and went and this was not an issue at all so that but they shouldn't have raised it she's supposed to be and she quite rightly says this and she's correct She's supposed to be nonpartisan. She's not supposed to exercise her discretion because it'll be good for the liberals or bad for the conservatives or great for the NDP. And she quite rightly wraps them on the knuckles for that. They shouldn't have raised that. But overwhelmingly, they were raising policy considerations, which were legitimate. Now, her claim that once she told them, I've made up my mind, they should have stopped, here I don't agree with her. Mm. Uh, she, she could still have exercised her discretion. She could have changed her mind. And I don't see why they, why they were obliged to stop trying to persuade her. <clears throat> and here's what I want to say that may strike you or some of your listeners as um, outrageous. I think the the prime minister at that point, when he couldn't persuade her, should have sacked her. And he should have gone public. It shouldn't have been done in smoke-filled rooms or smokeless rooms, I suppose, these days. (laughs) He should have said, uh, I'm uh, uh, firing or sacking or moving to another portfolio, the Minister of Justice, because this government is committed to uh, saving jobs in Quebec and the rest of Canada by offering a remediation agreement, and she doesn't agree, and she's entitled to her opinion, but we're entitled to appoint a new minister of justice. Now, suppose he'd done that. Mm. I that don't know that he'd be any further ahead. It wouldn't ahead. be unethical. No, it well, wouldn't be unethical, I but be. I have to argue a point with you, though. Okay. So okay. we said that there's no, uh, you know, illegality associated with this but if you've appointed this individual to be your chief uh legal officer uh, for the country but she's not making the decision that you support wouldn't uh firing her or in this well they did fire her um whether publicly or privately is that not an obstruction of justice i don't see that it's an obstruction of justice she's got that the legislation gives her the discretion. Her job gives her the discretion. If she doesn't exercise it in accordance with government policy, I. but they should have. He denied that he sacked her because mm-hmm. of her refusal to offer a remediation agreement, to overrule the uh, judgment of the director of public prosecutions. That was his reason. He was dishonest. He should have done it publicly. He should have involved the community. And I think Canadians probably... A pretty substantial majority would have said, you know what, her judgment was kind of innocent, naive, wrong-headed. Um, people should have gone to jail. Actually, nobody ever goes to jail for corporate crimes in Canada, no matter how 
uh, evil or wicked they are. Instead, the company is punished. So what does that mean? It means the employees and the shareholders. We need better laws. But until we get them, if the discretion exists, she's got to exercise it. And if she doesn't exercise it properly, not behind smoke doors, but right up front, this is my view. You, I understand, Andrew, but you don't agree. Maybe you I don't either, Jalen. Well, you know, uh, here's I think why, you though. Should have sacked her. Okay, but yeah. here's why. So let's put this issue aside for a second. Let's talk about your personal circumstance, a professor at the University of Manitoba. Yeah. Uh, and you're found to have been drinking and, uh, and uh, conducting classes while under the influence of alcohol. I was hoping you wouldn't bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> joke, joke, uh, joke. <laughs> so a disciplinary committee is formed, and yeah. um, it's determined that the action is going to be to dismiss you. Yeah. But the university uh, administration really values your contribution as a, a key figure uh, among their staff so they simply uh, disband the uh, council and get a new one to take a look at it to give the correct decision or the decision that they would prefer does that seem ethical uh yep and i'll tell you why <laughs> and not just because i'm the one in this hypothetical example um the the uh, the uh, the committee that's investigated me or that's uh, can, can we make this about you Andrew, instead of about me the uh, the announcer who's uh, drunk in charge of a microphone yeah, wait, wait, wait till we edit this interview <laughs> <laughs> the uh, so the committee that investigates makes a recommendation they don't decide they make a recommendation they recommend to my dean. My dean recommends to the province. The province recommends. We're a terribly bureaucratic organization, yeah. universities. And ultimately, it goes to the Board of Governors. The people who have the discretion, which is everyone above the committee, are entitled to sack me, even if the committee recommends not, or to retain me, even if they recommend that I be sacked. She, the, there is legitimate discretion on the part of the Minister of Justice and Attorney General to decide what charges to bring or whether to bring charges. And the, the facts of the matter and the law are two elements, but public policy is a third. Look, let me give a, a, a totally different example from left field. There was a case recently, Canadian case, involving a man whose name was Michelle, and he murdered his uh, severely demented and suffering wife. <clears throat> and he was... He, he talked about it for years, he carried around, he told friends, he carried around a syringe uh, with which to kill her, to put her out of her suffering, and then finally he took a, I guess a pillow or some, something like a pillow, and he smothered her to death. He was charged, or rather there was a double charge, and the jury had to decide either second-degree murder or manslaughter. Mm. But actually, he committed first-degree murder. Mm -hmm. This was a planned killing. And the law doesn't say if it's from mercy, it's okay. The law says if you, if you commit a planned killing, uh, then, you're, then the sentence has to be life in prison with no parole eligibility for 25 years. 
But if they charged him with first-degree murder, the jury would have acquitted him. They would have used their discretion. And they gave the jury a choice. The jury opted for manslaughter, and the judge hasn't given his sentence yet. But the judge is going to say... This isn't an appropriate case for jail. So what I'm saying is, even the criminal law, even the law to do with killing, has discretion built into it, and the charge we bring, and the judgment of the jury, and the, the wisdom of the judge, and somehow uh, the idea that exercising discretion or trying to persuade the decision-maker to exercise their discretion in a way that will minimize social harm is a violation of the rule of law, I think that's nonsense. All right, so we're almost out of time. I've learned two things today. Yes. Uh, one, never debate uh, with an ethics professor. But number two, <laughs> let me just ask you this. And as I say, we have very little time left. So if the motivation, if I accept your argument that, listen, the prime minister should exercise his discretion in order to further policy uh, to the benefit of the country, and in this particular case, that would be to retain those jobs in Quebec and the other jobs across Canada that you mentioned. Yep. If that was the motivation, and if I accept your argument that that's a good time to exercise that discretion, does it change anything if the number one motivation was not the job losses or potential job losses, but rather his own job loss, that he is a Quebec MP? And that that yeah, was well, the primary it, motivation. You know what? I think it would, uh, as would the fact that SNC-Lavalin has given uh, big whacks of money to, uh, uh, to the Liberal Party. Um, those, uh, our Prime Minister, whatever other strengths and weaknesses he has, seems to have a tin ear when it comes to ethics. <laughs> uh, he shouldn't be accepting big donations from... Uh, companies. Uh, he shouldn't have accepted a free vacation uh, with his family via helicopter to, to visit the Aga Khan. Okay. Uh, I, he doesn't get it, but um, I think he does get the... Um, look, the reason... Maybe the reason he wanted to save 9,000 jobs was because he wanted people to vote for him. That wouldn't surprise me a bit. Does that mean he doesn't care about the 9,000 uh, 9, jobs? Maybe he doesn't. But, but uh, what's really important is that the policy makes sense. I'm not saying I agree with the policy. I'm saying it's a legitimate policy. He should have been open and honest, as he promised to be when he got elected. He should have presented his reasoning to the Canadian public, as he did in private to Judy Wilson-Raybould, and he should have defended it. And if she wouldn't defend government policy in the way she exercised her discretion, he should have found someone else who would. And All above board. Dr. Arthur Schaefer joining us this afternoon, the founding director of the Center for Professional Applied Ethics at the University of Manitoba. Uh, next time we talk, I get to ask the questions, Yeah, okay? that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> because I have a bunch now uh, as well. But uh, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Oh, really nice talk. Take bye care bye. now. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.